Can you hear me? How about now? Can you hear me now? All right. Miller, thank you so much for the piano playing. It's beautiful. I just need to say that uh, if even a small portion of the prayers that have been offered for me about today are answered, we're going to be fine. Because you guys, wow, do you pray. It's wonderful. need to thank my father for teaching me how to tie a tie. My mother for teaching me that I needed to brush my hair. And my wife for teaching me that I needed to clean my teeth. So I think I'm ready. Last week, Gordon brought a message um, remembering uh, the um, ministry... Uh, activities he did in several countries around the world. Before that, Jim Garrett's message was about remembering. And so my message today, according to God's design, is also about remembering. Uh, For my birthday this year, my lovely wife bought me uh, and her uh, tickets to see Stephen Curtis Chapman, contemporary Christian singer. I've been a fan of his for a long time, and she knew that. So we went to see him, and he gets up there with his guitar, and he starts playing some of our old favorites that we used to rock out to in college. And so we're up there, yeah, mm, and we're looking around at all the people who are about 10 years older than we are and, and who aren't up stomping and clapping. And so we just kind of sat down and kind of tapped along with it after that. But, but his theme for his, his most recent concert tour was remember to remember. And how he explained it was that we want to remember God's faithfulness in the past so that we will have hope as we look to his fulfilling of promises in the future. And I thought that was really good. It was something I needed to be reminded of. Uh, So I'm going to ask those of you who are in the audience to join my son Andrew in counting the number of times in this message that I use the word remember. Because it's going to come up a lot. He's already counting. Wonderful. Okay. We need to remember because we forget things easily. Anybody ever forget where they parked their car? Put their glasses? How many kids they have? Their children's names? That's something I have a hard time like... uh, 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 You there. My wife's got a solution. She says, tell me your name. Okay, stop. Stop doing what you're doing. That works. (laughs) That works. If if you're familiar with the Danish uh, piano player and comedian, Victor Borga, he used to, yeah, okay. Uh, He used to say, there are three things I can never remember. Four. And I find that as I get older, if I don't write it down, it's gone. I have a hard time remembering things. Of course, our culture trains us not to remember. If you go back and watch commercials or even TV shows from the 70s or even early 80s, you're like, come on. They're so slow compared to what we watch today. I think that's part of what's challenging about teaching children today is that with all the electronics and the screens, we're so used to shoving so much input in and out. We go to the store and there's so many more options than there ever used to be. I I go to get peanut butter from from the store and I'm just, 
uh, do, do I want the off-brand, the four different off-brands? Do I want five of the name brands? Do I want almond butter or peanut butter or cashew butter or hazelnut butter? Do I want the fat-free? Do I want the low-fat? Do I want the gluten-free? Do I want the non-GMO? Do I want... I don't know what I want anymore. <laughs> There's just so many options that we didn't used to have to sort through, you know? So we forget. It's easy to forget. So we, we need really need to remember and to be paying attention as, as we go through life because our enemy doesn't want us to remember. All the advertisers don't want us to remember the value of a dollar, among other things. There's a lot of efforts to keep us from remembering what's really important. So why do we need to remember what's the value of remembering? What, what do we gain when we remember? Well, I'm going to go through a list of several scriptures briefly um, that have reminders of what we need to remember and why. In Deuteronomy 9.7, and again in Numbers 15.39, in addition to many other places throughout the Bible, we are supposed to remember our own sin. We're supposed to remember that we're sinful because our enemy doesn't want us to remember that. You're fine. You're good. You got this. No, we don't. We are sinful, and we can't save ourselves from it. That's important to remember. Because if you don't remember that, then you don't need who? You don't need a Savior. If you don't see your own sin, you don't see the need for a Savior. So that's one of the values of remembering. Numbers 10.9. I'm going to read that one. Looking at that the other day, that was a lot of fun. God made fun, you know. Numbers 10.9. When you enter into battle in your land against an adversary who is attacking you, sound short blasts on the trumpet, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and be delivered from your enemies. It's a promise I don't hear about very often. But remembering is important. When God remembers us, great things happen. Deuteronomy 7.18 talks about uh, courage. We gain courage when we remember who God is, what he's promised, what he's already done. We can walk in confidence instead of cowering in doubt and uncertainty. So that's important. Deuteronomy 8.18 talks about the role of money. And money gets talked about a lot through Scripture. If we don't remember what the Bible says about money, that's a problem. How many times have we fallen into the trap of the love of money? It's easy to do. And the love of money is the root of? Oh, you guys know your Scriptures. Good job. <laughs> Judges 8.34, if we fail to remember... We will fail to follow where God leads. That's a problem. We need to remember who God is and that we're not him. And remember that he has always led us safely, carefully, as a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. The enemy doesn't want us to remember that. He wants us to focus on the problems, our discomforts, our inconveniences, so we start grumbling like the Israelites did in the desert. 
Psalm 9.12 talks about remembering God's comfort. And one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. Psalm 103, verses 17 and 18, reminds us of God's love toward us. And that's important to remember. If we forget that God loves us, if we start thinking of him as, as the big Zeus in the sky with a lightning bolt just ready to zap the next guy who pops his head up, we're not going to relate to him the right way. We're not going to be able to shine to others the light that we have because we won't have any. So it's important to remember these things. And again, our world does not help us in this effort. Every movie you've ever seen about gods and angels and demons, and how many of them have it right? They don't. If we keep filling our lives with what the world says, filling our lives with what the enemy says, we are not going to remember the truth. And the truth's important. It helps us keep the right perspective. Luke 24, verses 6 and 8. I'm going to read that one as well because that's a pretty important one. Luke 24, verses 6 and 8. And, of course, the pages would stick together. There we go. Verse 6, he is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. Changes everything when you remember God's words. If you're being informed by other sources, you're not going to be keeping the right perspective. But if you let God's word, if you let God's spirit inform you, if that's what you're listening to, if that's what you're remembering, you'll know what's going on. You'll have the right perspective. You'll be prepared. You'll be able. When I was in college, I learned real fast that life was going to happen, whether I was ready or not. And I found out that if I was getting enough sleep, if I was eating right and exercising, if I was staying in the Word and in prayer, and if I was laughing enough, I could handle life. Life was, was challenging, but it didn't overwhelm me. But if I started missing any of those things for any length of time, all of a sudden my life was too much. It's an important lesson. Something I need to remember. Better write that one down. And then again, John uh, 16.4 talks about for confirmation. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He knows. He knows we need to be remembering the important things. And he tells us the important things if we will just make it a point to remember to remember. I'm going to uh, do a little bit of remembering about my own life um, because it shows uh, how God was at work and it, it pointed out a good lesson um, that I still need reminding of. When I was in high school, I wanted to go to college. I was ready to get out of the house, man. And so I found a Christian school four hours away in Missouri. It had a football team. It had good science program. It had a full-ride scholarship, and I thought all those things were just perfect for me. And I applied, and I thought, yes, this is going to be great. I got the letter in the mail, and it said, survey says, <laughs> what? What do I do now? 
Everything I've been depending on and hoping for is just boom. So I argued with God. I got mad. I stomped around. It took me a while to come to grips with this. I went to my next choice only because um, it was affordable. <laughs> and uh, I went there under protest. Six years later, I married a girl that I met there, and I've never regretted that. I learned from that experience, and I remember now, remember uh, realizing then that God's plans are always good. They're better than I can dream up, and they tend to be built to be good much further down the road than I'm thinking. God's plans aren't just about how I feel right now. I forget that. Can I get an amen? amen? We forget sometimes that just because it's raining, the sun is still shining, even if we can't see it. Um, I'm also going <laughs> to, this will be interesting, tell you about all the things I'm not qualified for. Uh, I majored in science education because I like cutting up dead bodies. I'm that weirdo. Um, I passed the certification test for science and for math. Tulsa Public hired me to teach math. I'd never taught math before. I had no classes in how to teach math. It was interesting. I had no certification or degree in coaching, but TPS, in their infinite wisdom, hired me to be a coach. <laughs> coached there for two years, coached at Metro Christian for eight, coached at Sperry for a year, uh, all with no qualifications. Uh, I'm teaching elementary this year, again, with no qualifications, classes, or experience. Uh, I'm an elder, even though I have no gray hair. <laughs> what? No great ministry and no connection to Bill Sanders or Chuck Fair at all, but <laughs> in light of all these, others, all these examples, I'm, I'm starting not to be as concerned about qualifications as I used to be. The world says you have to have this, and then you have this, and, then you, and God says, nope, you need to be here right now, and he puts you there. And that's something, again, that I need to remember. I'm an oldest child. I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I sometimes get hung up on those things that I think have to be done first. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. God's in charge. I remember the story of Joseph from Genesis in chapters, I think it's 37 through 50. All he had were some dreams when he started. God put him in charge of a powerful nation, not to give him a power trip, but because through being in charge of that nation, he would save that nation as well as his own family. And through his own family, the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel and through Christ, the rest of the world. No qualifications when he started. And then God puts him through some very unfair experiences. All so that he can be in the right place at the right time to do exactly what he needed doing. That's encouraging for me to remember. I remember that God has always provided for me and my family. Uh, can I get a show of hands? How many of you have ever been at a financial time in your life where it just you were just kind of Nervous about the next thing. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. It changes you in a good way. 
Because only by taking that risk and stepping out do you see God come through. Uh, when we first came to TCF uh, to attend TCF, I believe it was six years ago, five or six years ago, I was out of work. Not a very confident place to be coming from. And as soon as anybody here found out, everybody prayed for me. And I remember um, saying uh, at, at the time that it felt like I was hanging onto a vine and just swung out over a precipice and let go. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't see the other vine coming. God provided. And then the next summer when I was out of work again, God provided. Not something I want to keep going through, but it helps me remember that whatever it is you're going through, you've got, probably, and if you don't, you will. If you walk with God, you will have testimony in your own life to remind you, to help you remember, hey, God comes through. God is faithful. Not just was faithful, but he is faithful. He will continue to be faithful because that's who he is. And then I think about uh, just in this congregation, just in the last month, what kinds of prayers has God answered? I've heard about healings. We've had new members, new jobs, repairs, healed relationships, salvations, all of these just in the last month here in this church. Somebody say amen. amen. Look at what God is doing. And the further back we go in TCF's history, the more irrefutable God's faithfulness becomes. Each of you has a story. I've heard some of them about how you came here. And, and then once you got here, the stories. Oh my goodness. This room is rich with stories, testimonies of God's faithfulness. All that we can remember anytime we doubt, anytime we're fearful, anytime we're just not quite sure that things are going to work out. Look around. Think about all the stories you know. And I don't think anyone here knows all the stories. TCF has a story to tell of God's faithfulness because God is writing it. And we are his pages. So, we've looked a little bit at my own personal past. We've looked a little bit at our corporate uh, past. We're going to go into the Bible and look at the past way back where the story of God's people starts. And we're going to bring it all the way up from creation all the way up through the birth of Christ to look at God's faithfulness through the Old Testament. So, to start with, we're going to go to the New Testament. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, if you're familiar with it, most people, when you're looking at verses 2 through 16, all the begats, the only really interesting thing to most of us most of the time is how, as, as um, Americans, we butcher the beautiful Hebrew language in, in mispronouncing all, all those names. But we're going to go through it a little bit differently. We're going to start with a song. Guys, would you cue up the song? Follow along as, we, as this song takes us through the first chapter of Matthew. 
watching Christmas Voices on the Gospel Music Channel, America's Christmas Channel. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's home and Tamar, Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram. That, that anybody would take the time and trouble to put that piece of scripture to music is amazing to me. I think uh, Diane should make the Sunday school kids learn, learn that one. So what do we need to remember from this list? Because to most of us, most of the time, it's just a bunch of names. But just like looking out at you guys, I don't just see faces, I see stories. This is full of stories. So we're going to go through them. Uh, the first story is not actually listed in this genealogy, but we're going to go back to um, creation. God creates harmony. He creates self-sustaining beauty and strength. And he creates man and wife as a message to his people about his love. Even before there are people for the message to be sent to, he creates this message of God's love for his people, his people's response to him in the picture of marriage. And somehow Eve falls for Satan's lie uh, and somehow Adam just stands by and lets her. And we remember that uh, in Genesis chapter 3, after this takes place, that God brings a curse upon everyone involved. And even in that curse, there's a blessing. Even in that punishment, there's mercy. Uh, he talks about um, yeah, verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. He's talking to the serpent. 
And he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head. And you will bruise his heel. If you remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ, the opening scene, it starts in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there, sweating drops of blood, praying like he's never prayed before. And um, the Satan character shows up. And from the Satan character comes this serpent-looking thing wiggling over towards Jesus. And I love this picture because it, it's, this is the God I know from his word, from my own life. He looks the Satan character right in the eye and with a stick in his hand. Good job. With a stick in his hand, doesn't even look, and he crushes the serpent with the stick. Love that. So, the promise begins in Genesis chapter 3. There will come a man, and he's going to win. And that same promise is woven through everything else in the Bible. Now, we go to Noah and his wife. I'm always a little bit curious about her. Uh, if, if she could have written a book, what would it have in it? I don't know, but... Uh, Noah and his family, the only righteous ones, they have to obey some rather unusual directions. Uh, they have to endure some rather strange conditions. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat with animals before, but, that, but that's not something just everybody can do, you know. At the end of Genesis chapter 9, uh, actually all through chapter 9, God's got some promises. Chapters 8 and 9 of Genesis, he promises... Um, several things, and at the end is, is this rainbow. Beautiful. Something, something so beautiful it could only be from God, and this is what God will use to remind himself. This is what God looks at to remember his covenant. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 9, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. Covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Water will never again become a deluge to destroy all flesh. We need to remember to remember. There's been a lot of attempts by the world recently to hijack the meaning of the rainbow. But we know the truth. We know who made it. We know what it's for. We know why it's there. Moving on to Abraham and Sarah. God uh, expands his promise. And in the covenant with Abram, uh, we see the difference between a covenant and a contract. Contract is defensive in nature. It protects each of the members in it from the uh, unfaithfulness of the other. But a covenant's not that way. In a covenant, in God's covenant, he says, I will fulfill this, period. Whether you guys do or not, because we know humans are going to fail at some point. So God says, I got it. You guys are going to fail? No problem. I won't. Here's my covenant. He goes through between the split animals all by himself, without Abraham. Good thing. Because if we thought it was up to us, if we thought we were capable of fulfilling that kind of covenant, again, that would change the way we see things. Again, a reminder, we need to remember that we 
have a sin problem and that only through Christ does it get solved. All nations would be blessed through Abram. That's the promise of Christ reiterated from Genesis chapter 3. He was called to be a stranger, wander where God led him only, to sacrifice his only son, and then God steps in and rescues them both with his own sacrifice. What's that word from literature uh, when an author gives you a, a hint of what's coming later? Thank you. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. And God, again, he fulfills his promises. We have the advantage of getting to look back through the entire Old Testament and through the New Testament to see all these examples of God fulfilling his promises over and over. We remember that God fulfills his own demands and that God's plans and promises are multi-generational. The next episode is a little weird. The first female mentioned is Tamar. As I understand it, Judah was responsible to take care of Tamar after the death of her husband, but he's negligent in this duty. She seduces him to get her pregnant so she can shame him for his negligence. She's right, and he knows it. So we remember here that God cares about responsibility. Um, it was the serpent who started things, and Eve was next. Adam was the last one. But who does God go to first? He goes to Adam first. Adam's responsible. So God cares about responsibilities, and that was brought home in a very unique way to Judah. Next, uh, Joseph, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, still took care of others wherever he went. Suddenly he's put in charge of this powerful nation, not just to save the nation, but to save his family. And again, through his family, the nation of Israel, through the nation of Israel and Christ, the rest of the world. And he didn't know that. He didn't have that full picture when he was in the middle of things. It's good for me to remember. Just because I don't have the full picture doesn't mean it's not important. God writes amazing stories. Why was it called the promised land? Who promised it? God did. It wasn't like Moses promised it. It wasn't Abraham who promised it. God promised it. God fulfills his promises. They get there, and the Israelites are like, you know, giants are too big, cities are too strong, let's go back to Egypt. No. Which God are you following? Is this the God who fulfills his promises, or isn't he? Jacob, I'm sorry, Joshua and Caleb remembered who they were following. We remember in... Uh, the stories through Joshua and Judges and into Ruth, this very unique um, story regarding uh, Rahab and Ruth. Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law, her second mother-in-law. Naomi was the first one, and we know that story, but Rahab was a, um, a Canaanite and a prostitute. Not your first choice to bring home to the folks. But... When she proves that she believes, she believes in the God of the Hebrews, and she proves it by risking her own life to rescue the spies and hide them. She, she, she earns uh, her own life back and the uh, life of her family, and then where is she going to go? Jericho is not there anymore. 
So she, had, she goes along with the Israelites. She settles in the promised land with them. And I don't know how accepting they were of a Canaanite prostitute, but my guess is a little bit less accepting maybe than they were of each other. Someone marries her. Someone who's usually not mentioned very much. His name is Salmon. And I always wonder about him because he does that same brave thing that Joseph did with Mary. He marries someone that probably not top of the list of eligible bachelorettes in the neighborhood. And they have a son named Boaz. And Boaz sees a foreign woman, Ruth, with nothing to gain except to help her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's given up everything, given up her home, given up her religion. That's big. Religions at that point were fairly involved, as far as I can tell. Um, but she, she gave it up, chucked everything, chucked her home, family, religion, all of it to go with Naomi and care for her just because she loved her. Boaz sees that. And he, better than anyone else, knows what it's like for a foreign woman to try to make her way in Israel because that was his mom. And so he comes through just like his dad did and he marries Ruth. Doesn't just rescue Ruth, doesn't just rescue Naomi, but also rescues the name of Elimelech. Kinsman redeemer indeed. So we remember that our obedience to what we know has far-reaching effects beyond what we'll ever see. When Ruth decided to go with Naomi, even though Naomi herself was urging her not to, she didn't know who her kids were going to be. She didn't know about King David being a grandson. She didn't know about the promise or any of that stuff. And look where she ended up. What a huge, big story she's in now that she has obeyed. In David and Bathsheba, remember that God allowed a marriage marred by adultery, murder, the death of a child, and betrayal to be part of his own son's bloodline. He came to save all of us no matter what we've done. Good thing to remember. Through the judges, the kings, the prophets, the cycle of apostasy, we, we understand that the point of the whole Old Testament, one of the points, is that the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ, to help us remember that we have a sin problem. If we could have fixed it with rules, it would have happened already. If we could have fixed it with philosophies, it would have happened already. If we could have fixed it ourselves in all the ways that we fix things, we'd have done it by now. And we haven't. Sin's as much a problem as it ever was, apart from Christ. So we remember that we need a Savior. And through the prophet Hosea in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Again, God talks about marriage as a message. That he will be faithful to his people no matter how unfaithful his people are. No matter how many times they run away and go after other gods, he always comes back for them. There's consequences. We read that through the exile. But even in the exile, we still see that these stories are being written and obedience still matters. You think of the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and Esther, all during the exile, which is God's punishment on Israel's unfaithfulness. Even in that, God creates stories for us to remember his faithfulness, his coming through, his plan that's still in effect, his promise he hasn't forgotten, all of it, even through the exile. And then Ezra, Nehemiah, and the rebuilding, a miraculous return, miraculous rebuilding of the wall and the temple, promises come true. And then the Greeks come and they don't destroy it. And then they end up in a rebellion, which they win. They have freedom and peace for a long time. And then Rome comes in and occupies them like no one's ever occupied them before. Cue the imperial death march. And it would have been easy to give up, wouldn't it? It would have been easy to say, what the heck, God? All these promises, all this faithfulness, and now? Why? The Bible talks about the fullness of time. Why Jesus came when he did and where he did is important for us to remember. A Roman world was full of Roman roads. It was full of the Roman language. It was full of relative political stability. There were people who wanted to stir things up, but relatively stable. And in that day before social media, before doctored photographs, before digitized changes were possible, you had to talk to people face to face. People had to listen to Jesus face to face. They had to hear for themselves exactly what he said for themselves. And then they could tell other people, hey, I was there. No one would be able to deny what they'd seen and heard or ignore it. They couldn't minimize who Jesus was by claiming that, oh, it's movie magic. Or, oh, that's just a rumor. Or, oh, that's, that's just that, that goofy sect. No, Jesus was right there in everyone's face, just blowing their minds. That's why it was important that there was Roman occupation. Painful as it was, unfair, cruel, hard, difficult as it was, it was important that for the message of Christ to be as undeniable as it was, that it come at the time that it did. God had set up this whole stage from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. He had it all set up on purpose to fulfill the promise, to fulfill the plan, so that we could look back and remember to remember, so that we could remind ourselves, hey, he does fulfill his promises. He is faithful. The Messiah, when he came, fulfilled over 300 separate promises and predictions from the Old Testament. 300. He fulfills his promises. We forget. Our world trains us to forget. Our enemy tries to persuade us to forget with distractions and with frustrations and with inconveniences and things. But everything good that God wants to do and is doing will be opposed because we have an enemy. 
And he hates everything good that God does, especially when we see it and we remember and we believe. So he's going to oppose it. And that's why if you remember, hey, this inconvenience, this problem, this struggle, this unfair thing, we should remember, one, we have an enemy. Two, it's not each other. Three, God's still at work. And four, he's still God. He's always faithful. He always will be faithful. Even if we don't see just how far-reaching this decision is going to be, even if we don't see just how important it is going to be for us to go through this, just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten. Just because you have to ride on a boat with smelly animals for a year doesn't mean that God's forgotten. Just because you go to a foreign country and have to pick grain off the ground doesn't mean that you're not important. Just because you get imprisoned and falsely accused doesn't mean there's no plan. When we remember, we can have victory. We can have courage. We can have a true understanding. We can be more consistent in following God. We can have God's comfort. We can feel God's love. We can have hope. We can have confirmation and direction when we remember the truth. When we remember who God is, it is life to remember. It is death to forget. If any of you struggle to remember God's faithfulness or his goodness, or need to be reminded of how he's come through for you, I would like to pray for you now. Uh, please join me as we bow our heads in worship and join me in prayer for those who need reminding or help to remember. Lord, you have always been who you are. And you shine no matter what storms come into our lives. But we forget. We need your help. Help us to remember be with all of these in this congregation and with all of those that we know who need help remembering, who need reminders. I pray, Lord, that in the weeks to come that you would bring reminders, that your spirit would bring to mind all that you have said and all that you have done, not just in your word, but in our lives, that we would be able to see your hand, even just a little, that those of us who are discouraged, those of us who feel like we've been beating our heads against the wall and nothing is changing, I pray, Lord, that you would give us encouragement and hope to continue, to keep doing what we know to do, to keep following you, to keep trusting, keep believing, keep hoping, and not to give up or give in or give out before you fulfill your promises as you always do. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful. We pray in Jesus' mighty name.